fidelity high, the people you dig, the records they love. Along with his brother Bubba, Matt Cadane is a founding member of the critically acclaimed bands Bedhead and The New Year. With David Bazan of Pedro the Lion and Will Johnson of Centromatic, the Cadane brothers are also members of the band Overseas. In 2014, the Numero Group released the comprehensive Bedhead box set 1992-1998, which compiled the band's recorded history over five LPs. After Bedhead's dissolution, the brothers formed the new year in 2001 and have released their fourth album entitled Snow. It is their first record in close to a decade, which Pace Magazine has declared a powerful, understated, and timeless rock album. This is Matt Cadane, and my fidelity high is The Spirit of Eden by Talk Talk. So, uh, so my brother and I were rare people who, uh, who actually kind of liked the first Talk Talk single, which was that song, Talk Talk. Uh, or, or, you know, I mean, we liked it as much as you like something when you're, you know, a bored teenager and you're, you're watching MTV and you decide not to mute, uh, you know, a video when it comes across the screen. Um, we uh, we we actually never went out to buy the record. Um, we did buy "It's My Life," uh, which had genuinely good songs on it. We were uh, we were into that record. We were and we were blown away when "The Color of Spring" came out. That was um, that was in '86. That was in '85 or '86. I was in high school. Uh, this was in Texas. I, this was in Wichita Falls, Texas, and. Uh, and you know that I mean the way that record begins is still you know arresting. I mean you know you you, you hit this drum machine, uh, um, in in isolation it plays for a few measures. You you know you have no real sense of what to expect. And um, and you know because it's a drum machine because this is basically you know a synth band up to this point. You you expect a bunch of if anything you know like synthesizers and keyboards to come into the song. Uh, and instead you get this warm bass and this piano and this organ. Um, and, uh, when you go back to the song, um, the instrument choices just seem perfect, you know, almost like Destin. That's, that's, you know, this is, and the band sounds like that, you know, minus the drum machine. This is what the band sounds like from, from that point on. So, so that record kind of, so the color of spring kind of blew our minds and, um, it became one of those records uh, you know, just sort of like this happened to me a lot when I was a teenager. There were these records that came along, and and I was just addicted to them. They were just kind of irresistible, and and uh, you know, and this was one of those 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 records. And it started to affect the way that I thought about music. I mean, the way that Bub and I both thought about music. Um, and uh, you know, I remember we um, we had a drum machine at the time. We had this you know sequential circuits drum tracks drum machine, and I remember sitting down. And using it to do a cover of the Happiness is Easy drum. The, the the first song on that Talk Talk record is 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 Happiness is Easy. And I remember sitting down to do a, a cover of that drum of that of that song's drum machine part. Um, you know, I tried to get all the same sounds, uh, you know, as close to it as I could, and uh, and and programmed in the exact rhythm. And you know, I tried to play along to it with with real drums and do that. Um, there's this really kind of amazing, subtle, early fill in that song that happens both on the drum machine and and on acoustic drums. And anyway, this is what you do when you're, um, you know, when you're a teenager in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing else worthwhile to do. I mean, this what I was doing wasn't worthwhile either, but it, it seemed worthwhile. Um, and so anyway, so then The Spirit of Eden came out. Um, it came out in 1988 and I had just started college. And at the time I was having this ongoing conversation with a friend of mine about whether or not rock music could be high art 
you know, it was just sort of like a bullshit college conversation, but it was important at the time. We were totally consumed by it. And, and I represented the belief that rock could be high art, uh, you know, which neither one of us ever really bothered to define, you know, I mean, like Beethoven was on one end of the spectrum and, 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 you know, I mean, like Winger was on the other, but, you know, this was about as precise as we got. And, uh, and any time I, I offered up something for this guy's consideration, you know, it was thumbs down. It was totally unimpressed. Um, but the Spirit of Eden came out. I, I put it on, and this endless conversation was, was over. You know, the argument was settled. And, and, you know, and I still feel about that record the way I did at that moment. Um, it's, you know, it's not among the greatest rock records ever made. It's, you know, it's probably not, you know, in the top 100 or, I mean, it's sort of, you know, I'm not even sure it's recognizably a rock record, but it's easily among the greatest records ever made by a rock band. And it was inspiring for that reason, you know, that to, to us, I mean, that, that a rock band could, could do whatever it wanted. Uh, um, I don't think I would still put this in terms of high art and low art. Um, I maybe now just think more in terms of possibility, but that, that record said anything was, was possible with electric guitars, with, you know, with, with bass and drums and, and, uh, um, you know, and piano and singing. Um, and, uh, and among the, you know, and among the many things I think I love about it is that you never really know where it's improvised and where it's planned out. I mean, there's something, I guess there, you know, there's some obviously planned things. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the choirs on, there's like this choir on, I believe in you. There are certain choruses that repeat, uh, um, you know, and of course they planned all that stuff out, but there, but there's so many incidental moments and, um, you know, and, and, and even if every one of those was planned, they still sound like incidental moments. And, and, and more than anything else on the record, I think they establish its feel as improvised. So when there are the more organized moments on the record, um, or, you know, or when you experience the more organized moments on the record, you, you experience them as order emerging from, from chaos, from incoherence or from randomness or something. And, and, you know, that's something I'm still really drawn to. I mean, it's, this is what makes music feel holy or sacred to me. I'm not sure the word, but, but uh, holy maybe is the word, right? I mean, it like, it makes me feel like music has the capacity to bring meaning to, uh, you know, to incoherence and, you know, when life is basically incoherent. So, you know, a record like this brings meaning to life, it's not too much to say. I mean, at least while you're listening to it for like 41 minutes. Um, and uh, and uh, but then there are these other elements of the record that have that kind of of, of you know sacred holiness, like this or the sacred quality, or this you know the church organ that you first hear at the um, at the end of the song, uh, the rainbow. Or it's not at the end of the song. It's actually at the point uh, in the song that you you mistakenly think is is the beginning of the next song. Um, there's another, another verse that comes back in. Um, but anyway, that sound of the church organ, the choirs, the, you know, the, I mean, Mark Hollis's you know, plaintive singing as that sad singing. Um, and, uh, and then there were so many specific things about that record that, um, that Bob and I were drawn to, uh, the, you know, the use of the ride symbol, um, the way that drums come in and out of a song, uh, the, you know, Lee Harris and Paul Webb, I think, are really one of the great rhythm sections, um, especially on this record. I mean, I'm assuming they're, you know, it's, always, it's not always them playing, but I'm assuming it's mostly them playing. 
Um, but you, uh, you know, listen, like listen to the bass and the drums on I Believe in You. They're just so simple and steady. It's just two notes back and forth, but they are played at such a perfectly slow tempo. It's just the exact right tempo. Um, or the drums on, 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 on the song Desire. And it's just like hands down one of the great drum songs. Um, and I, it just in general, there is, um, it's, it's a, it's a, there's just such good judgment exercised on that record. Uh, you know, snare beats come off at the right time. Um, you know, not just the cymbals, but like the shakers. I mean, all the percussion enters and exits the song, uh, at the right time. And nobody's, I mean, my sense is that nobody's ever allowed to be self-indulgent on that record. Um, you know, it's sort of like what you get with the band at their best. Um, I mean, everybody, I'm talking about the band, the band, everybody in, in the band, uh, you know, they know their place. They're just such remarkable ensemble players. I'm, um, uh, you know, I mean, not the first person to say this, um, but the, I mean, well, and I mean, at least when you just listen, I mean, Robbie Robertson is super annoying to watch in the last waltz. I mean, he's like, <laughs> he's visually self-indulgent. But musically, he's not. And, and that's the way it feels with Talk Talk. It's just this, you know, this epic ensemble. Uh, and they play like, you know, it's like 12 people playing like four or five people or, you know, five people playing like two people or whatever. They're just always so restrained. Um, and it's, you know, if I made that record, I would have no regrets. You know, it's got these American influences all over it. Uh, that very first sound on the record, you know, you think of Miles Davis. Um, the, I mean, you can't help but think of Miles Davis. The you know the last song is just like you know, it's like American soul music. Um, but but it 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 strikes me um, struck me then strikes me now as just you know a fundamentally English record. Uh, um, you know, I mean, there's an oboe interlude in one of the songs in, in the song Inheritance. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's it's an oboe interlude. It's just like you know, it's 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 like a masterpiece theater moment. And um, but it's but it's like it, but it's there's something, you know, it's masterpiece theater having a stroke. I mean, there's just like everything is dissonant and warped. So it's, it's redolent of English culture, but there's, but there's something wrong with it. Um, I mean, that opening line of the record, uh, you know, the, that the world's turned upside down is, you know, tells you there's something wrong. Um, and, and even that line is actually kind of a, a you know, a constant refrain in, in English culture. So the obsession with, with Eden, with the fall. I mean, there's all the stuff that, um, which I think I now appreciate more along those lines. And there really was no other record that made me and Baba made us feel like, um, uh, or well, or they they, they they gave us something to use to rethink what what we were doing. Um, and uh, and I think it was important for us that we had liked this band in its earlier form. Uh, you know, when they were so spastic, you know, when their music was so fast and it was not at all subtle and it was pretty formulaic. And uh, if you were watching that band or, you know, listening to that band, um, uh, you know, unfold, like in real time, you know, kind of unfolding, um, you notice them slow down, you know, record by record, they started to just expand and stretch out their sound. And, and, and I think we learned from that, you know, at, at a critical moment when we were uh, forming, or forming Bedhead, you know, we really, we learned from that. If I were to play this record for somebody for the first time, I would start with the song, I Believe in You. Um, the way Mark Hollis, you know, delivers these lyrics, that's a song about, 
I think somebody he knew being strung out on drugs um, is just, you know, so, you know, so sort of like sad and poignant and, um, and, and subtle. And, um, and then the song culminates with this just gorgeous chorus. It's like, you know, this choir of, of, you know, it sounds like, you know, Vienna boys choir sort of, um, I'm, I'm, maybe it is the Vienna boys choir. I've never looked to see who that is, but it sounds like a boys choir. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I, I think meant to be, you know, the most kind of uplifting and, uh, and beautiful quote unquote, beautiful moment, um, on, on the record. And, and it's, a, it's, it's at that moment that you really realize they are going for something transcendent like beauty um it's 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 more than just a cool record which is you know the word uh we would have used at the time to describe everything else we liked it it's this it's got this sort of 19th century ambition to to be beautiful but anyway that's the song i might uh i don't think i would, I, I should need to say anything i've said because if the song couldn't speak for itself then there'd be no hope for that listener thanks for listening to fidelity high For an extended version of this episode, including songs from the featured artists, please visit fidelityhigh.com.